Jedi Council is a podcast for entertainment and informational purposes only. It should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council podcast where we like to explore mental health and your favorite fictional characters. This is your Jedi Council co-host, Brandon Saxton. And Katie Gordon here too. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I think that it's been a rough week of news um, with regard to Barcelona today and Charlottesville in the United States, and I just want to send my love out there to anyone who's struggling with that this week. Yeah, absolutely. That's really nice. I With the, the kind of rough week, we've kind of switched gears and gone for a little bit of a lighthearted topic for ourselves this week, uh, in that we're going to focus on some some fictional health professionals, I think, uh, and uh, a couple of our favorites that uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be chuckling, and maybe you will too as you remember these characters. Um, so, uh, anything, we haven't done any current events uh, segments in a while, mm-hmm. which is kind of my own fault, because I usually just get excited and jump into the topic. I did see Dark Tower this week, though, which mm. I would rate as not my favorite film. Uh, pretty low on uh, following the source material, and just, I didn't care for it too much. Yeah, I saw that it got pretty low ratings. That's consistent with my feelings towards the film, too. So, mm-hmm. But other than that, uh, DC Metal started yesterday. I haven't picked up the first copy of that yet, issue. I need to do that. So well, that's, 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 all, that's all I kind of have for current events. Uh, anything for you? Well, you know, uh, not specific to comics, and I already mentioned kind of some of the current events in the world. In terms of the comic world, you reminded me that Defenders is coming out, so that'll be interesting to see that. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds good. Well, we can go ahead and jump in. So I think the maybe the first thing that we'll do is talk a little bit about the APA uh, principles of psychologists and code of conduct, which is kind of a, a guideline for psychologists uh, created by the APA, American Psychological Association, for how psychologists would conduct themselves. Uh, and um, yeah, maybe we'll jump off there and then we can dive into our fictional health professionals and maybe talk about some of the ways they don't meet uh, the, the standards set for it by the APA. Sure. So maybe I'll start off with giving an overview. As Brandon said, basically um, each profession usually has within it its own standards of what's appropriate conduct. And these things go from levels of competence as uh, performing or acting within that profession, as well as things that involve other types of ethics, for example, how you relate to other people and and those types of things. And each profession has its own. And even though later we're going to talk about uh, fictional characters who are not psychologists, we wanted to focus, of course, on the code of conduct that guides us, which is ethical principles. And from what I understand, Brandon, you in a class wrote a Wikipedia entry on this? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I think Wikipedia, well, the professor of the class, it was a history and systems psychology class. The professor is Dr. James Council, uh, who was really involved in some of like the efforts to make Wikipedia a more reliable source and getting uh, people with you know background involved in writing some of these pages and getting the pages to be kind of well-cited and, and just more reliable overall. And so a kind of a main focus of the class, which was a summer class, it was really kind of a every day for like four hour long class. Um, a main part of the class was as a class, we worked together to create an APA ethics code Wikipedia page, of which there was not one. 
So yeah, we created a, a page. It covers the general ethical principles for psychologists as long as the along with the specific ethical standards and talks a little bit about some of the history and the ethical controversies related to the APA. So yeah, it was, it was a good project and it's kind of like my only contribution to Wikipedia. So if you want to check that out, uh, feel free. Well, there you go. <laughs> we talked to one of the guys. What section did you particularly write? Uh, the section that I worked with, uh, specifically on was with my lab and uh, office mate, Taraki. Mm -hmm. We worked on the ethical standards section. So I, I can't remember exactly how we split it up. I think she maybe wrote the first five and I wrote the second five. And then we kind of worked together to kind of draft uh, the specific ethical standards in that way. So that was kind of my section, I think, was... Uh, record keeping and fees all the way th through therapy there is kind of the order of them. So if you want to critique my writing, you can just head over to that section and uh, give it a read. There you go. <laughs> well, the, the guide for ethics is very long, and that's good. We need a lot of specifics yeah. on how to conduct our behavior. But I thought it was worth, since we try to include information as well as stuff about fictional characters, to kind of talk a little bit about the underlying principles and, and guiding principles of the Code of Ethics for the American Psychological Association. So uh, this is from the preamble, psychologists are committed to increasing scientific and professional knowledge of behavior and people's understanding of themselves and others, and to use of such knowledge to improve the condition of individuals, organizations, and society. Psychologists respect and protect civil and human rights and the central importance of freedom of inquiry and expression in research, teaching, and publication. They strive to help the public in developing informed judgments and choices concerning human behavior. In doing so, they perform many roles such as researcher, educator, diagnostician, therapist, supervisor, consultant, administrator, social interventionist, and expert witness. The ethics code provides a common set of principles and standards upon which psychologists build their professional and scientific work. So that's the main purpose of it, and the preamble goes on, but I wanted to maybe switch over to some of the general principles, and maybe Brendan and I can just kind of go back and forth on them. They are principles A, through E, and yeah, maybe you can just sum up the main point of each. Absolutely, be happy to. So I'll start off with principle A. So principle A is uh, um, beneficence and non-maleficence. Those are kind of tricky words, mm -hmm. but I aced it in one. <laughs> Very proud. Uh, so basically the work or the idea is that psychologists are performing work that's beneficial to other people. So you're helping people and you're not hurting people in the process of carrying out that work. So uh, being aware of your professional influences and potential consequences that your work can have on other people and making sure that really if you just boiled it down very simply, you're maximizing the good that you're doing and you're minimizing uh, to none the uh, damage uh, that your work could potentially uh, have on other people. That's right. And so we'll make sure as we talk about our fictional characters, our fictional health professionals, to talk about whether they actually um, have violated these things. Actually, uh, there is a, there's a news story specifically related to this that came out today um, with regard to psychologists who were involved in a case um, that were advising the CIA on mm -hmm. using torture through mm -hmm. psychological principles for interrogated, mm -hmm. well, they don't call it torture, they call it, what they call it, uh, inve interrogative something investigation. We actually even have a section on that on the Wikipedia page that we created. Oh, okay. But yeah, no, yeah you're very exactly relevant. So, mm -hmm. so the, um, that's, so it's called enhanced interrogation, yes. right? Okay. So basically, um, just to mention that because it is current, in fact, I believe today the news was that they had settled 
forward out of court. The ACLU filed a lawsuit against James Elmer Mitchell and John Bruce Jessen, two psychologists contracted by the CIA to design, implement, and oversee the agency's post-9-11 torture program. The suit filed in October 2015 in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Washington was on behalf of three of the program's victims. All three were kidnapped by the CIA and tortured and experimented upon according to Mitchell and Jessen's protocols. One of the men died as a result of his torture. The other two continued to suffer the effects of physical and psychological torture inflicted on them. In August 2017, after the judge rejected attempts to dismiss the case, a trial was imminent. The psychologist agreed to a settlement, and this is the first for a case involving CIA torture. And in this time, we should say that um, the American Psychological Association weighed in on this case and talked about whether or not it violated ethics. So obviously when we talk about different levels of violating ethics, there are going to be some that are more and less extreme violations. But since this news, I think, just came out today, I thought it would be useful to include. Yeah, absolutely. The second principle is about fidelity and responsibility, and this is that psychologists establish relationships of trust with those with whom they work. They're aware of their professional and scientific responsibilities to society and the specific communities in which they work. So in this, psychologists should uphold professional standards of conduct, clarify their professional roles and obligations, and accept appropriate responsibility for their behavior, seek to manage conflicts of interest that could lead to exploitation or harm. So the idea a lot in this here is basically that you are conducting yourself responsibly and that you are not exploiting anyone. So if you're offering services, for example, for post-traumatic stress disorder, that you're really providing those services. If you're unable to do that, you should refer out to someone else who has that expertise. As we're gonna talk about Dr. Spichemin from 30 Rock later, Um, He is someone who kind of seems to work in all areas of health and not have a specific level of expertise. And so that that's um, a big part of what fidelity and responsibility are about. And the last sentence in it says psychologists strive to contribute a portion of their professional time for little or no compensation or personal advantage. So there is the suggestion here that also people are trying to, um, in addition, like some people take pro bono cases or they see people for a lower amount so that they can help within the community that they work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, principle C is integrity. Uh, so integrity uh, really has to do with making sure that psychologists are engaging in honest, transparent practices and really all aspects of the field of psychology. So I think sometimes when we're talking about some of these, we kind of default, we're thinking about clinical practice, but also making sure this applies to the research side as too. Uh, as to, that doesn't actually make sense, but as well, mm-hmm. or two, as two separate sort of ways I could have said that. Uh, so uh, making sure that psychologists are engaging in things that could be, uh, that are dishonest, exploitative, uh, malicious, or anything like that. Uh, when deception is being used, particularly in research, uh, making sure that we're kind of mitigating the effects that could have, and really, uh, you know, and just, I think integrity is sort of a, maybe a, a self-explanatory word, and it applies really well to what, what the principle is, is making sure that uh, you're transparent and you're and you're just kind of on the up and up and uh, and just kind of doing the right thing, I guess. If you could sum it up very simply, yes, that's exactly. how I would do it. Accuracy and honesty, and yes. then um, justice is principle D. Psychologists recognize that fairness and justice entitle all persons to access to and benefit from the contributions of psychology and to equal quality in the processes, procedures, and services being conducted by psychologists. Psychologists exercise reasonable judgment and take precautions to ensure that their potential biases 
The boundaries of their competence and limitations of their expertise do not lead to or condone unjust practices. And so I blurred this a little bit into principle B, which I had talked about earlier. But the idea is that we have to strive to be fair, be aware that we all have biases in certain ways, that we should make ourselves aware of them and reduce the chances that that will come out to play in practice. An example of how that happens is there have been some studies suggesting people who have uh, fewer financial resources or sometimes either decline for services or more likely to be prescribed medication versus getting therapy. Um, and in those instances, that's not fair that those types of factors are influencing the treatment provided. And so justice is the underlying principle for that. And I should say that what we've talked about before, these aren't laws, these are, they are, um, it's a code of conduct. Mm -hmm. And um, often laws can be fashioned after some of these principles, but some of these are really guidelines that are harder to determine clearly if someone has violated them. Mm -hmm. Some of them are not, some of them are readily determined, but others right. are not. Absolutely. Uh, principle E is respect for people's rights and dignity. Uh, this principle really um, has to do with making sure, uh, it has a couple of components. So making sure you're recognizing individuals' rights to privacy and confidentiality. Of course, that's a major part of therapy and research is making sure that you're respecting that confidentiality. Uh, in situations where you might be working in a group, making sure you're acknowledging the limits to confidentiality, uh, but making sure you're uh, you know, setting the, the guidelines for groups and groups like that. I'm using the word groups a lot of time in that uh, sort of description, but I think it applied. Um, uh, so privacy and confidentiality, but also uh, kind of like Katie talked about in justice, there's also the a part with bias and uh, respect for people's rights and dignity. So making sure that you understand and minimize any of your own bias that you might have for individuals or groups uh, and making sure that uh, you understand the, the needs uh, and uh, the you understand different uh, maybe groups, uh, so things related to gender, race, religion, disability, socioeconomic status, uh, status understanding uh, those groups so you can respect and uh, provide the appropriate treatment um, for people who might come from different backgrounds or, or different, uh, different groups than you. Yeah. So the, those are the main mm -hmm. principles of it. It then goes into uh, 10 sections, which yeah. we won't go through all those. We will link to it if you're super interested. But uh, the main point here is that we just wanted to let you know what, you know, because a lot of time we're criticizing therapists or health professionals' depictions mm -hmm. in fiction. And just to let you know kind of what this is based on. And it's yeah. based on this, this code of conduct and this code of ethics. And um, so as we... Again, what we were thinking about might be a good way to approach this is we try to think of two of kind of the worst health professionals that are depicted in fiction and came up with Tobias Funke from Arrested Development and Dr. Spichemin, as I already mentioned, from 30 Rock. And so maybe we can just kind of give some specific examples of what they did and then maybe connect it a little bit to the ethics and code of conduct. Yeah, that sounds really good. So maybe I'll start because I'm afraid that my section is going to be a little shorter on Tobias. So I was really excited when I picked Tobias because I think he's a really funny character. But then I realized, like, 
his medical career really happens prior to Arrested Development. Yeah, that's so, true. So he may not have been the best pick, but he's the pick I have, so I'm going to stick with it. Sounds good. Uh, so Tobias Fuqua, for folks who aren't familiar with Arrested Development, I would encourage you to watch it because I, I think it's a really funny show. Katie, you're mm-hmm. a fan of it as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. There's a new, and, yeah, new season. Yeah, a new up. season. I think it's going to be like a murder mystery season I saw. Oh, I didn't know any uh, of the details. I think that. so. That's what I've read. I don't know whether or not it's true, but that's what I read. So Tobias is uh, in the show. He is the husband of Lindsay Bluth uh, and father of Maybe, who are a couple of other main characters. Uh, he's also one of the main characters as too, but that's just kind of his relationship to the Bluth family. It's kind mm-hmm. of the, the main focus of the show. And uh, prior to the show, Tobias was a psychoanalyst and a psychotherapist. So do you think it's worth talking about those terms and what they kind of mean? Because mm-hmm. I, I know that in the past we've... Uh, had um when we've done like different events or talks people have referred to us as psychoanalysts mm-hmm. or that we're doing psychoanalysis and that's actually a very specific term mm-hmm. that's not actually something that we do yeah um so maybe i just kind of impromptu i we didn't plan a, of course to talk about this but psychoanalysis is a very specific type of therapy it's a very st- a specific uh school of training or theoretical orientation um that's uh maybe i don't I don't know, is the, people are probably associated with Freud. That's probably the, yeah. the general kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, he kind of was uh, invented psychoanalysis, right. and a lot of people who still use that term tend to stick, adhere to some of the original mm-hmm. stuff, whereas you hear people who take more modern interpretations of some of the underlying principles. I think more often you hear the term psychodynamic. Yes. This is admittedly not an area of my expertise, but that's my impression. Yep, same here. And so uh, a psychoanalyst, that's kind of briefly summed up. That's what that would be. A psychotherapist is uh, someone engaging in psychotherapy, which is more of an umbrella term. Uh, referring to like things that we've talked about, like cognitive behavioral therapy or acceptance and commitment therapy or dialectical behavior therapy, things like that. Yeah, basically, I would think of it I, as anyone in psychology providing mental health services. Yes, exactly. So, so the terms are maybe not used exclusively or totally correctly in the show, but I'm not going to fault them for that. That's they were just sort of. Well, they're just making a TV show. And that was specifically so they could make a joke that we don't yes. need to repeat. No, no but uh, I think that was the main underlying principle. You're exactly one. right. I was just going to totally go right around that one. So, yes. People who've seen the show know what we mean. Yep. And we don't have that explicit tag on iTunes. No. We're not getting it. I refuse. Uh, so, but Tobias, who uh, in the fiction of the Arrested Development universe was licensed as a psychoanalyst and a psychotherapist, uh, lost both of those licenses actually uh, through an event where he gave a man CPR. Unfortunately for Tobias, the man was merely asleep, uh, he not requiring CPR. So uh, that was what kind of how he lost his licenses, which is kind of peculiar because uh, that he. Of course, giving someone who's asleep CPR is not effective or appropriate, but uh, also not really even within the realm of what a psychotherapist would be doing. Yeah. So, you know, it it kind of makes it sound like more of a medical doctor position. Yeah, I wondered if they were mixing up a psychiatrist or something because Mm you wouldn't think, I mean, usually there's like a good Samaritan law that if someone tries to give CPR and as long as it's they're doing their best, even if the person's really (laughs) asleep, then they're usually have some lack of liability but if you're a doctor you could see why it would be a problem that they didn't detect that (laughs) the person was sleeping versus that they were not breathing right yeah and that their heart had stopped or something like that so that was 
Uh, kind of interesting, but that's Tobias's story, and that's how he lost his licenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that uh, is kind of how his medical career ended. And after that, of course, throughout the show, he pursues uh, acting as a career. Um, and uh, another part... Oh, shoot. Why does this keep happening to me right on the air? I keep losing my train of thought, which this happened last week, too, mm-hmm. and I had a question for you, and then I completely forgot <laughs> it. That's what happens when I think and talk at you the same time. You did ultimately remember it, though. I so. did, and I, mm-hmm. and I will again. Um, so, Tobias, uh, you did a really nice job of pulling out a bunch of quotes uh, for Dr. Spichemin. I didn't do the same for Tobias because a lot of his quotes are, like, kind of, like, pseudo-sexual in nature. Mm-hmm. And I also just wanted to keep those right off of our non-explicit <laughs> podcast. Um, but really, the only sort of thing related to his medical career that you'd sort of see in the show is sometimes he kind of gives general advice yeah. kind of thing. Like, you could, he's sort of, like, leaning on his education to give someone relationship or some, really, Mm -hmm. advice sort of related to that. So that's kind of the extent of what we get to see for Tobias related to his medical training or uh, psychotherapeutic training. And, you know, this isn't one of the, along uh, the code of conduct or in the ethics or anything like that, but he does, part of the humor of his character is that he doesn't seem to have very good insight. No. And... That's usually having, I mean, self-awareness is kind of in the code of conduct, though, so that you're kind of aware of yourself and how you might impact other people. And he often isn't aware that what he's saying comes out a different way than what he means, and he doesn't seem to be fully aware of stuff. And he actually has a... um, a fake diagnosis. I actually did pull that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's I was going to talk about that as well. So uh, Tobias has a uh, you're right a fake diagnosis called never nude, mm-hmm. uh, which is a condition where he can he can never be nude as per the name, and so is always wearing a pair of cut off jean shorts as his way of coping with it. And I actually found an article uh, from a professor of psychology from Ryerson University in Toronto who was interviewed by MSNBC about never nude, uh, and hmm. which of course is not acknowledged by the DSM. Mm-hmm. Is not You're not going to get a Never Nude episode of right. Jedi Council, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But what, It would be a very brief episode yeah, anyway. Would, Basically, they never take off yes. their little jean shorts, apparently. That is how it is. Uh, so this uh, Dr. Anthony, who talked about it, kind of uh, equated it to what he calls gymnophobics, mm-hmm. or individuals who have really extreme anxiety about uh, nudity. That particularly stems from... Uh, irrational fears that they're physically inferior. So that mm-hmm. was kind of a, a more of a, someone who's trying to tie a, a never-nude uh, fictional example to something that someone might experience in everyday yeah. life. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we ask when we assess for eating disorders if people are comfortable <laughs> undressing in places like the gym and stuff like that. But in this case, it even seems like more because it's even when he's just taking a shower, like in yeah. his home bathroom, he can't take off his... Or shorts. even like under his uh, swimming trunks, yeah. he's wearing the the cutoff the jean little jean shorts. shorts. Yeah. yeah, so it's uh well yeah you summed it up really well. It's not a real diagnosis. If you stretch yeah. it far enough, it could have some elements, yes. but it really wasn't intended to. No, uh, it was just a, another one of the the quirky parts of the show. Mm-hmm. For sure. So that's really like kind of all I have right off the bat for Tobias, uh, which once again I kind of wish I would have picked someone who had more depiction of stuff on the show but i was just thinking man tobias is so funny that i I latched on to to that character well if any of you listeners have any any specific questions about tobias funke (laughs) formerly doctor please do let us know and we can we can revisit them but yeah i agree most of his career has ended before he 
starts, mm-hmm. although you kind of wonder how he was ever practicing based on how dysfunctional he is. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. I thought, I, I when I kind of was reviewing his character, too, I thought he even had, like, a head of a department position, too. In, like, a head of psychiatry. Mm-hmm. I might be thinking of a different character. Uh, but, because um, I, I, I was looking back into it, and I didn't see anything mm-hmm. like that, but I thought I remembered it from the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but no, which, of course, that would indicate that uh, he had some training and skill but mm-hmm. but uh but anyway at any rate even having the career at all uh indicates that in some way so not uh not great, not great. i'm just pleased that he pursued acting after and he found something else that he enjoyed so that's good um should we talk about dr spichetman y- yes that sounds great okay so basically what i did is i just pulled up some quotes and thought that we could talk about them there are lots of good ones, but maybe a little bit of background in case you're not a 30 Rock fan. Um, 30 Rock basically is Tina Fey kind of loosely based it off of being a writer when she worked at Saturday Night Live. And so you can definitely see those parallels. I mean, they're, it's a comedy sketch show that they are all, it starts off the girly show and then they make mm-hmm. a TGS to make room for Tracy Morgan, and basically the way Dr. Spichemin is introduced is that um, Tracy Morgan's character does have some mental health issues, which we might revisit at some point. I mean, he has some very, they call it that um, in the first episode, and he's having some kind of mental health problems, and and he, and um, Liz Lemon, who's played by Tina Fey, is trying to figure out how to contact his doctor for some help. And he says, what is your, and she says, what is your doctor's name? And he says, Dr. Spaceman. And she's like, you know, he's really not oriented and thinks that he's way out there. So then she grabs one of his pill bottles and it says, Dr. Spaceman. So then she calls Dr. Spaceman and he answers, this is Dr. Spichemin. And from then on, he is a recurring character. Um, A lot of people out there mentioned that they like, Rick and Morty, and I found out he plays one of the characters. I have been watching that so that we can do a future episode on that. I'm still, I'm probably mid-season one, so I've got a little while to go. But anyway, um, they kept bringing him back, and he's just so ridiculous. And I think he's supposed to be a medical doctor, but he certainly practices broadly, including mental, physical conditions all over the place. And so... Despite the fact that he probably wouldn't be bound to the psychologist's code of ethics, we will use him as an illustration. So maybe we can pick the first quote. Um, There's someone who is struggling with something, and um, Liz Lemon says to Dr. Spichemin, couldn't you just inject something right into his heart? And Dr. Spichemin says, I'd love to, but we have no way of knowing where the heart is. See, every human is different. So... (laughs) That's uh, problematic. <laughs> competence. We're, we're tapping yeah. into the competence for sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm also right away Oops. reminded to, I want to compare Dr. Spichemin to to formerly Dr. Tobias Funke. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tobias was, his license was revoked quite quickly for a, a CPR mm-hmm. mishap. But Dr. Spichemin is, he's sneaking by the uh, the ethical boards. He really is. He just keeps on going. So yeah, competence, um, probably malfeasance, right? There's not going to, or non-malfeasance. He's violating that because this person who needs help is not getting the help that they need because uh, he's saying he doesn't know where the heart is. So it's not that's, great. No, so it's problematic. Although I will say... 
he is having some respect for individual differences. Just in this particular case, <laughs> there aren't any. <laughs> so oh, that was a good poll. <laughs> so why don't you take this next one? Uh, that sounds good. Okay, so uh, another one we have Dr. Shaman talking to Liz Lemon, who is uh, I would probably identify her as the main character mm-hmm. of the show. Um, who and Dr. Shaman says, "Here's a prescription for your cold sores, and here's a blank one for the weekend." Yes. Uh, a lot of problems, right? <laughs> of course, that's a well. I don't. Where do you even start with? I, I mean, <laughs> all all principles. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, it's not responsibility is not know, great. Uh, integrity. I mean, of course, he, he's sort of just passing out a blank prescription. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just a a lot of no thanks there. Not I, not good. Uh, no, I don't think that's a great way to practice and. I mean, on a serious note, I think that this has been, I mean, there have been health professionals who have their license taken away because they're doing careless prescribing. Mm-hmm. Not perhaps as careless as this one, but nonetheless, I mean. I also, like, not only is it just, like, a careless prescription, I mean, it's just a blank one. And not only is it a blank prescription, but it's also, quote, unquote, for the weekend. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> the right. The are also their own problem. Exactly. No, it's just kind of like, you know, have, and, and he he's someone who apparently uses drugs for recreation, but that doesn't mean you should prescribe them right. to your patients. Right. right. <laughs> I know that people are aware of that, but just to further <laughs> no, it, highlight it. It's good to it's good to really cement that. <laughs> it's really those prescriptions are meant to treat specific diagnosed issues, not just kind of a free pass for the weekend. But that's Dr. Spachaman. So the next one is Dr. Spachaman sitting down with some people and saying kidney transplantation is no laughing matter. <laughs> so I apologize. Kidney is just a, such a funny word. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, that's like the least of his offenses, though. <laughs> it is kind of funny, though, because if you took that as an isolated incident, like, man, that's so inappropriate. Right. But you're right. In the context of things, it's sort of like, meh. That's yeah, okay. like, that's not really a problem. So, like, I mean, respect. It's not I mean, a lot of, like, treating people with dignity if they need a kidney transplant right. and you're laughing, you're laughing about it because the word is funny. funny. It's also kind of weird that, like, the word is funny, and it's probably one as a doctor you would use rather often and <laughs> get true. used to. Also, it's not even like, even as a non-medical doctor, I think of the word kidney as being fairly, <laughs> fairly just normal. It's not one that makes me <laughs> uh, But, you know, it does, one thing it does to maybe loosely tie it to something relevant to mental health information is that... There are certainly in therapy topics and words that people have a harder time saying Mm -hmm. and talking to their clients about that they're less comfortable about. Sometimes it might be about getting, um, assessing them for symptoms that are affecting their sex life or something. Mm -hmm. For example, um, in one of the most common um, measures for depression, one of the symptoms that look at is a decrease in sexual interest. And so some people might be uncomfortable talking about Mm -hmm. that. I don't know that they'd laugh. Hopefully not. 
Like, I, or like if they're talking about anxiety and you have to ask them about various bodily functions, like they, like you might be uncomfortable, but like you should probably handle that before you meet with your yeah. patient. Probably some or a client. Like role playing. Probably yeah. Ahead yeah. Of time to yeah. Sort of Say it so many times that it's like not amusing to you anymore. Maybe not just yeah. go out there and laugh. I was, for a second here, I was trying to like think about like, could, could you tie this into bringing humor into mm-hmm. therapy? But you really can't. This is the I same. don't know. The I, kidney <laughs> transplant may not be the no, best it's time not, it's not but the it's also it's also like not like a good kind of like hey humor about like i did like it's not like a self-deprecating or like a some kind of other humor it's like kidney is just a funny yeah, word that's true. <laughs> it's not like it's a not high funny. level humor you know no. but uh. possibly i mean it's the kind of humor that would make me doubt someone's competence because oh, yeah. i'd be like really you're still laughing at yeah. kidney after you've been in practice for a while like it does sort of build a continuity though because he doesn't know where the heart is yes so it, yeah. would, it would sort of check out that he is thinks the word kidney is funny because of just his overall lack of familiarity with basic that's anatomy. very true yeah. and he does hint more than once that he is um intoxicated and i don't know if that's what contributes to I don't know. It's very difficult to tell it's with a this complex guy. Character. He really is. <laughs> this suffices he's a he, he's a tough one. This is a fun one because it uh, ties into research, mm-hmm. which apparently Doctor Spachman is also involved. Well, in. hey, that conduct code applies to researchers it does. too. So it fits well. So uh, the first thing he says is, uh, he, so he's having uh, a, conver- a conversation here about research. He says, "Well, my lab is in the field of sleep research." Uh, mostly because I checked in the wrong box on a form once. Uh, but we're looking for human subjects. And the person he's talking to, Janice, says, where do I sign up? And he says, oh, please, we don't want a paper trail. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Well, <laughs> I mean, so right away, respect for people's rights and dignity jumps out because, uh, I, mean, that, I mean, that's one part of it. Beneficence and non-maleficence. So, of course, like, not only in therapy but in research you need to have informed consent right and there's no informed consent here in fact there's quite the opposite there's uh if you can have the opposite of informed consent which i guess is no paper trail at Mm -hmm. all yeah also uh to conduct research you really you need to hold some level of expertise on the topic and familiarity with the literature and what your contributions are going to be Dr. Spachman does the sleep research because he checked the wrong box. Yeah, that is problematic. Yeah. And that is an egregious example, but I think it, I mean, it can happen in lesser forms when someone is talking about mental, giving mental health advice, you know, in some formal capacity and they haven't had that training or someone is giving someone training in something they haven't specifically had expertise in. So this is obviously like, a ridiculous example, mm-hmm. but it does get to that point of that you should know your competencies yeah. and know when to refer out. And secondly, as Brandon said, like you kind of you do need to track everything. Yeah. Like, like definitely, there's a history of problems within human subjects research, and that is tightly regulated now oh, yeah. to avoid that. And when people violate that, uh, they get into trouble for it. So. Uh, we don't advise the Dr. Spichemin approach to research no. for multiple reasons. Yeah, yeah. I, I think just, that's fair to say. Just avoid that one for sure. Okay. So, and this next one, Dr. Spichemin is talking to Jenna, um, who I don't think we've talked much about. Not really. But she actually 
is we're talking about at some point maybe when we talk about personality disorders because she does exhibit some symptoms consistent with histrionic personality disorder. Um, but anyway, we'll talk about that another time. Um, Dr. Spichemin says, Jenna, are you pregnant? How? Did you go swimming in a public pool? So, like, that's a problem. Again, just getting at the confidence. Like, he doesn't... First of all, where is he? He's at the studio like, asking yeah. her that. I don't even know why in he's public, there. It looks like... Like, yeah, they're... just saying it, and I don't know why he's asking her that. And then, obviously, you don't get pregnant by going swimming in a public pool. Also, I know our, our viewers can't see this right now, but his expression is really funny, too. When he's, yeah, like, it's, sort <laughs> it's of a like very, very serious, like... narrowing his eyes, <laughs> yeah. really taking it seriously to heart. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, I... I think, oh, we have, a, we have a couple more. We have a couple more? Okay, mm-hmm. I'm enjoying this. See? Okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> keep cruising uh so he's talking to tracy right now dr chevin says and he he has a couple of uh, a couple of quick ones he just kind of puts out there first you have no reflexes he's uh, he's returning lab work to him oh okay right, i think oh no i think you're right he's he looks like he's reading it off of a a, a very official clipboard mm-hmm. so that would be right uh you have no reflexes your blood tastes like root beer and some of your bones appear to have vanished i don't like that First of all, <laughs> uh, no reflexes. I don't. I don't even know what to say about that. The blood tasting like root beer. What's the lab test for that? And what are the implications? And then some of your bones appear to have vanished. It's just outrageous. I mean, he's sitting there, so he probably yeah. all of that stuff isn't true. But okay, I maybe should add as a side note since I am trying to occasionally put in some information Which I there. Some of uh, part of our ethics too, and is that we're not supposed to order tests unless we have good reason to do that because tests cost money to the person who is getting the test, and, and so time uh, and burden. Yeah, effort. exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I don't remember Tracy's specific presenting problem <laughs> here, but I don't know what it could be that he needs to have some kind of maybe blood testing that possibly involved drinking it. To, to identify that his blood tastes like root beer, that <laughs> some of his bones have vanished, and that he has no reflexes. So I'm wondering if Dr. Spichemin potentially, either out of incompetence, gave him the wrong tests, or um, sometimes to make money. Yeah. And both of those are unethical. Not in, uh, not very uh, good integrity. No. So if you're make... seeing a health professional... Um, you should have a good rationale and transparency about why a test is being ordered and also what benefit it's going to have mm-hmm. to you. Because even if, like, now he knows that his blood tastes like root beer, like, how is that going <laughs> to inform treatment? Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> maybe there's... Maybe I just lack the medical training to I'm no medical doctor. But, but I don't know what the implication of root beer tasting blood is. I don't know. I don't know, but something to keep in mind. And then I think, oh gosh, well look at that. I have two two that I pulled, although there could be hundreds because they do a That's good true. job of pulling him back. I think there are maybe seven seasons of the show, I'm not sure, but they do a good job of pulling him in. I think he's such a good character. Mm-hmm. Okay, so right here we have Dr. Spichaman talking to Liz, and uh, and he tells her, uh, sounds like you could use a little R&R, which... That sounds okay. Mm-hmm. A little, uh, little R and R. That's sure. 
but hold the phone <laughs> for Dr. Swishemin. R and R means rum and riddle. Yes. Oh. Problematic. Problematic indeed. Uh she doesn't have a condition warranting Ritalin, to my knowledge. Nope. Um, also, encouraging the uh, mixing of uh, alcohol and uh, and medication. Problematic. Problematic. Definitely not recommended by anyone, especially doctors, mm-hmm. medical doctors. So, uh, not great. Uh, also, even just uh, not a lot of times, uh, <laughs> doctors encourage you to have rum. Not, no. Not my no. experience. No, I don't think so. So I think that's this Dr. Spichemin specific thing. Maybe we can save this for your pull of wisdom. Oh, that sounds good. Um, so unless you had one in mind. No, I didn't, so that sounds great. <laughs> so um so you know, I should say often we've critiqued including including in Thirteen Reasons Why how the counselors or therapists or mental health professionals present. Mm-hmm. And we talk about what's problematic or what we think is great about what they did. We talked about this with To the Bone as well. Um, none of those things apply in a comedic situation. Oh, yeah. I think it's very obvious here that yeah. he is not supposed to be competent. Right. So I'm not worried about someone watching this show and being like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to go to a doctor because they're all like Dr. Spichemin because it's very clearly a comedy, right? Even his name. Yes, even his name, (laughs) Dr. Spaceman, yeah. Uh, Same with Tobias, of course. Yeah. Which, of course, we don't see in engaging in any therapy or anything like that, at Mm -hmm. least as far as I can remember. I don't think it's ever depicted. Uh, But he's also a character that's not meant to be taken seriously in any way. Mm -hmm. Very much the opposite of some of the other people uh, or fictional therapists Mm -hmm. or mental health professionals that we have talked about. Where we have some concern that maybe someone would get an idea of that's what it might be like to receive services. So, Yeah, Yeah, I I think so. And we talked about with Monk, too, you know, like Mm -hmm. in terms of his therapist, like, you know, he was a good person, had integrity, seemed to be fair, didn't seem to be doing the most frontline evidence-based treatment. And so, honestly, that, I don't, that's hard to monitor. I mean, people Mm -hmm. have a hard time monitoring that unless you have someone actually watching what people are doing. Mm -hmm. And so I think cases like that where there's a frontline treatment, they're not being given that option for Mm it, that can be looked at as as uh, causing harm because mm-hmm. you're not giving them the best chance they have to improving their quality of life but i think those things are less well monitored because it would mean yeah. people kind of going in and uh, you know unless there's a complaint filed mm-hmm. by someone or something and it's even like challenging that. too because sometimes they can say i'm using techniques of cognitive behavior right therapy. but uh maybe they're not actually so yeah even if that's even on like the notes or something like that unless <laughs> Uh, you're in the room and see what's happening. Sometimes it's hard, like you said, hard to monitor. So. Yeah, so I think the cases that we you tend to hear about in the news are uh, extreme cases oh, yeah, where it's a very clear violation. So someone having uh, an inappropriate relationship yeah. with their client or um, other types of things like that and or someone um, getting sued for discrimination or something mm-hmm. like that. But a lot of this stuff, I mean, it's upheld within the profession that this is what you are supposed to do and we're supposed to take it very seriously and we see it in varying levels across the fictional world yes i was trying to think uh i thought maybe we could finish by doing sort of a rapid fire thinking of therapists Mm -hmm. uh, fictional therapists i know we've talked about like uh the counselor from uh 13 reasons why yeah um did you ever see the movie 50 50 Mm -mm. okay it's a movie uh that has uh 
what is his name? Seth Rogen mm-hmm. in it, and uh, and uh, he's uh, the friend of the main character who has uh, a terminal cancer uh, diagnosis, has a 50 50 chance of oh. surviving. That's kind of where the title comes from. And as a part of his treatment, he's receiving uh, therapy services. And the it, if I'm remembering right, and I this movie came out a while ago. Uh, the therapist starts to like give him rides home, and then a relationship develops. And I remember seeing that because it's never like uh, like this shouldn't be happening. It's just like that's the mm-hmm. story, and that's another one that I might need to rewatch that because I think I like saw it in theaters a long mm. time ago. And even as like a psychology undergraduate, I remember starting to be like, "Ooh, this isn't okay." Uh, so that's another like a, a someone who's clearly violating some ethical yeah. principles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've mentioned before one of my uh, two my two favorite therapist depictions. One is in the movie Antoine Fisher, which is based on a true story, and the therapist is played by Denzel Washington. And Antoine Fisher is in the military, and due to some anger problems, is uh, and also. He, he's basically forced to go to therapy, otherwise he's going to be in violation. So he has to go to deal with some of the anger problems. And there's not a lot of the therapy, but there's enough that they dig into some of his history with uh, physical abuse and sexual abuse and other issues. And I think it's really well done. And I think that important to me is it portrays the therapist as competent, as really caring about him. And... As kind of, um, you know, someone that you would reach out to if you needed help. And so I think that's, I think that's very good. And they also touch on some of the tough issues in terms of like terminating. And that's hard for Antoine to terminate earlier than he wants to because the therapy means a lot to him. So there are some boundaries that are clearly shown in that. So that, that's definitely worth checking out. And then the other therapist who really like is uh, in Goodwill Hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, Sean McGuire is played by Robin Williams. He does some things that he shouldn't do, like uh, when his client, Will Hunting, played by Matt Damon, is talking, is saying some things that really upset him about his wife and about himself. The therapist grabs him by the throat. He should not do that, obviously. That's terrible. You shouldn't ever physically hurt one of your clients. Like, that shouldn't happen. Um, But... There are other parts that are very good in terms of showing how he builds rapport through appropriate self-disclosure and through um, nurturing his autonomy to make his own choices. And so those types of things, and as well as how he approaches Will's history of abuse by challenging the idea that it's his fault. So mm-hmm. I, that I, those, I thought, were excellent representations of therapists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that- yeah, I think you said it really well when you said there's a, a wide range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another favorite, of course, is our good friend from Get Out. Yeah. yeah a good yeah, therapist. She's not, yeah, not. She's, <laughs> she's, she's terrible. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, she's, and, and we talked about that. Uh, extensively, yeah. And, you know, we talked about this before. Um, you haven't seen the show Frasier, well, mm-hmm. at least not as many times as me, in terms of Frazier and Niles, like, Frazier is a radiotherapist primarily. He goes into practice for part of it. Um, he's not he's not portrayed as, like, there are definitely some moments that are useful and really sweet and sincere, but it's mostly comedic. And sure. in a way, like, Tobias, he's a little bit, like, he doesn't have very good insight, mm-hmm. like, in, into things. Uh, Niles, his brother, is more of someone who's in practice, but often it's just... There, there's actually some good boundary things that come up, and 
and things like that. They do seem compassionate and like they care about people, so that's good. But you know, most of it is it's comedic. Yeah. So yeah, we could probably go on all afternoon mm-hmm. about all these good fictional, well, good and bad fictional yeah. uh, representations of therapists. Mm-hmm. So, but maybe we'll call it there okay, for today. That is there good. anything else that you have to kind of? Uh, wrap it up no we'll just we'll link to ethics in case anyone's interested in reading more about that and i uh, hope you enjoyed this episode yeah, which was... is a little departure from our usual yes, thing but... a little de- a little departure <laughs> but a little a little more lighthearted and and uh i don't even remember how we got onto this topic but this is what we went with this week so. well someone suggested to us to talk about the worst presentation of a oh, mental health right. yeah. problem ever and then i think we started talking about uh, just therapists. Sort of like how this whole podcast got started. Exactly. Just one topic led to another, to another, to another, to That's another. That's right. And not, now and we now are what, over a year later, <laughs> almost 60, 60 episodes. episodes. Yeah. That's right. It's pretty amazing. It is. Uh, and uh, it's amazing just to have so many great listeners, too. So uh, maybe just take a second, like we always do, to just say how much we appreciate uh, chatting with people and everyone who's uh, tweeting at us or about us or to us or... In regards to us, I don't know, all the variations of tweeting that you can do. And the folks who take time to leave us reviews, we really appreciate that too. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll just, uh, maybe I'll end on the Pearl of Wisdom this time. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of new, because normally it's Pearl of Wisdom and then more talking. And then <laughs> Mix so, it up. There's the Pearl of Wisdom chime. And uh, we're going to end with another good Dr. Spichemin quote. And, uh, and uh, then you'll hear from us next week. So thank you so much. And here we go. Mrs. Jordan, I've already administered the Evergirl. Would you like one as well? Clearly administered it to himself. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. And uh, and uh, you'll hear Which from would, us. Like, oh. Can you imagine like, no. ad- like, through, like administering something, an epidural to yourself? That's really I, something. I, I just can't. Do it. I just don't know. Uh, I will say quickly that I'm going to rewatch 30 Rock. Like, <laughs> the characters are so funny. Like I've been laughing this whole episode just about these quotes, but yeah. that's like the consistent level of how funny that show it is. It is very so funny. I need to revisit it. It's, it's been too good. long. So, All right, folks. Thanks for listening, and uh, you'll hear from us next week. Take care.